In this episode of Negative Modifier, we were playing the game Cult Divinity Lost. Cult Divinity Lost by design involves content, themes, and situations that may be uncomfortable or triggering for some listeners, and is most definitely not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised, and we really do mean that this time. Hey there, Charlie here. On behalf of the whole cast and crew of Negative Modifier, thanks for giving us a listen. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a rating or reviewing us on your listening platform of choice, or liking this episode if you're enjoying this on YouTube. It only takes a few seconds and helps us find new people to inflict our signature brand of madness upon. If you want to support the show, consider supporting us on Patreon. If you're looking to chat with the cast, other listeners, or get the most up-to-date news about the podcast, check out our Discord channel. Both are linked down below in the show notes. And with that all said... Well, here we are at uh, the end of our first foray. I suspect we're going to play more of this in the future, seeing as everyone's reaction is pretty positive. To Cult Divinity Lost. First powered by the Apocalypse game on the podcast. Um, so what people think of Cult? And I suspect you got some questions you want answered. We're talking about Cult. Dark ass game. We're going to get into the nitty ditty details of it. Please heed our content warning on this one. <laughs> uh, yeah so okay i guess the hmm i guess the biggest one for me is we all had secrets and i don't think they were actually revealed fully so that is a great place to start i think Do we want to go through <laughs> and officially reveal what your character's dark secrets are and that can be our jumping off point to kind of talk about this game as a whole Sure. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about how awful we are. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually going to start with um, the character that you guys did not pick. Um, Prosecutor Joshua Katz. As Jad just said, um, you all fucking suck. Like this is. <laughs> there's only really one of you that's not like a fucking terrible ass person. And it's ironically like um, Officer Kostroff, but we'll get to that in a second. So. um. Prosecutor Katz, he's an up-and-coming kind of... I'm not sure why I imagine him whenever I read over his character sheet, but I picture him as kind of like a Kennedy-esque character, but kind of like... He's doing the right thing of becoming like a prosecutor and stuff like that for all of the self-serving reasons possible. Like, he moves to Detroit, which is where our story took place, specifically because it would give him a shit ton of experience because of the socioeconomic problems. So, like, the guy is a fucking like, white-collar criminal through and through that's only kind of using a bad situation for himself. And his dark secret is, you grew up in a nice home in Washington, D.C. Your father, Robert, was a Republican politician and died of cancer when you were seven years old. Your mother, Laura, took care of you during your entire childhood. She was respected in high society and concealed her alcoholism and depression. But you knew. You found her unconscious several times and had to console her and take care of her as she drunkenly threatened to kill herself. She became increasingly embarrassing, nearly disgracing your family name and your reputation. So when she stood there with the pillbox and liquor bottle and, and wanting your pity, you said you didn't love her anymore and she should just go ahead and do it. The next day, she was dead from an overdose of sleeping pills. She was found lying in her own vomit on the upper floor of the house. You felt relieved. Like I said, cats sucks. <laughs> 
And to finish that off, the outpouring of sympathy definitely helped you as well. I'm kind of glad you guys didn't pick Katz. He is in a cast of unlikable characters, I think, just kind of the most upfront, least interesting of the four. He's very... I, him and uh, Dr. Dahamre, who we'll talk about in a second, I'm sure, are the only two characters in this that I actively want to see have fates worse than death. And that's kind of the point of cult to a certain extent. So that's the unplayed character. Who wants to go first with their character? Well, seeing as how you're already talking about me, might sure, as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as you know, um, I am one of the few that suffered a fate worse than death, so I'm pretty sure... But what what do you what do you call you're are you the handler you're not the handler what are you are you the lord you're just the that... game master in this game like it doesn't have a fancy name have a for fancy you title okay. it doesn't i'm kind of it, it feels like it should i i personally think there's a missed opportunity to call me the demigurg as part of this but that we'll get into that in a minute or the cult leader our jared leto <laughs> you can yes the leto yes we'll call it that in the future <laughs> So, uh, psychologist Domer. Uh, so many patients have sat opposite to you, talking about their meaningless problems, humdrum lives, anxieties, inner pain. Perhaps it was the feeling of power, but systematically, you convinced four patients to take their own lives. You used innuendos to convince them their suicidal thoughts weren't so wrong after all. And they probably weren't loved to avoid suspicion. You have assured nothing was recorded, and your patient journals say something completely different. And when you received the phone calls and emails telling you they took their lives, you felt a curiously joyful sensation in your chest, leaving you walking on air. You literally have the power over life and death. You memorize their names and look at their pictures on your phone several times a day. Josie, Dermot, Kyle, and Sarah. You are itching to find another vulnerable person and gain power over their life. So if you're wondering why I just went absolute batshit mid-game, or just constantly was like having ulterior motives and everything else like that it's because i'm a terrible person like a terrible ter terrible person yeah you're you are a straight-up serial killer and also i want to draw attention to hey alex remember back when we were doing the sessions here and you kept saying i'm pretty sure i have the like most despicable character and i kept saying mm, i don't think so yeah no that sounds kind of fucked <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i loved playing this character this was one of my favorite to just dive into and just be like, hmm, I get to play an evil character and like a maybe good campaign. Let's see how this turns out. Let's actually kind of dip into the psychology of this and let me just kind of find the facets of this individual. No, yeah, I think you actually did a fantastic job of that too, where it's like you can tell you got who Domre was. And I think it was partially because like you despise who Domre was. Is? And, like, that made her more interesting because, like, you didn't like her, but you understood her well enough to portray her well. And that came across just kind of constantly of, like, no, no, this is a bad person. It's, it's weird calling her one of my favorite characters you've played so far, but there's something kind of just fascinating kind of where you took her and just kind of, you definitely drove home that whole idea of just how, like, you slowly eased into just how unbelievably selfish the character was across the board. I wanted to introduce that kind of aspect just by lightly threatening Kostroff with the fact that I am, I, I like my report is what is like it, it can can influence his job later. I needed to plant that like influential seed. I don't know if that really took or anything else like that, but it was more so just like, hey, I'm gonna drop this hint. 
it's interesting. Like I think like the one of the kind of interesting early on parts for her is that she has of the characters you were playing arguably the most power up until no one has any power anymore. Like she is no one's really in control control, but she is definitely more in control of the situation than anyone else is. Like she has the most to gain and everyone else has the most to lose kind of from how events play out. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing to toy around with. And we'll get into that in a minute as we kind of work through the story more. Who wants to talk about their despicable character next? Uh, so I don't have my thing up right now, but basically uh, Lydia, the, the little girl that we kept seeing. Uh, yeah. Um, well, okay. Uh, the detective has a bit of a drinking problem and is corrupt. They take bribes and they sort of see the world as like, I take the bribes because my coworkers do. And uh, they really do have a bad alcoholism problem. And in one of their nights returning home from a bender, they hit the kid, Lydia, with their car. Uh, and instead of facing the music for killing a kid, she just drove on and covered it up. Yep. <laughs> Something I didn't tell you about as we're kind of playing through. The alcoholism actually has a mechanic in the background that plays out. Oh, yeah? Yeah, basically, like, you can go through withdrawal if you're not drinking. <laughs> it's a good thing I was drinking most yes. of the time. Yeah, it cuts either way. Like, so the drinking makes the influence of kind of how things go bad worse, but it makes a lot of the dice rolls a lot harder. Uh, but yeah, like, I very much enjoyed playing the character. I like Colt because we're all bad people, and, uh, you know, you can try to be good, but it's probably the worst thing to do if you value your life. Yeah, the scenario definitely kind of leans itself into that one some. I, it's, I, I keep saying this, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, though, because we kind of work our way through it. Last but not least, um, Alex, a.k.a. Officer Kostroff. Okay. Um, well, here's mine. So when I read this, I remember it was kind of trippy, so I'll just read it to you guys here. But, um, so my dark secret is what happened in the engine room haunts you. Nightmares, panic attacks, and hallucinations have become part of your daily life. Handcuffed to rusty machinery, you watched how Franklin Mills carried out some bizarre ritual. He butchered Janice Bedford before your eyes. Yet she just wouldn't stop screaming, not even when she was completely cut open. You were sure you would be killed next, never to lay eyes on Amy or Dominic again. Franklin had violent outbursts and beat you repeatedly, all while chanting something. The last thing you remember before losing consciousness was him sinking his teeth into the woman's eviscerated heart, tearing off a piece of meat from it and swallowing it, all while she kept screaming. You woke up at the hospital and soon learned that Franklin Mills was apprehended. William was missing and Detective Felicia Jenner's partner, Clark Glover, had been shot to death with your service pistol. Released early from the hospital, but are still suspended from service with undergoing a psychological evaluation. If you pass this, you return to work with the police force. Keep your mouth shut about what happened down there in the darkness and the woman who refused to stop screaming. Even though she was dead, no one will believe you. So, yeah, that's what my character had gone through as far as that whole experience. Which is why he was so fucking just timid and like literally was haunted by what had happened. 
Yeah, I guess it's probably worth mentioning. You all picked your characters without knowing any of the dark secrets. That was an intentional kind of setup on my part. We walked through a bunch of this actually as part of the session zero for this. But yeah, it, from a game master perspective, kind of given what makes cult cult, I thought it was important for you guys to pick your characters kind of based off their general description and then be surprised by the based kind of the darkness inside of each character. And I think it was. I guess I guess a question for all of you. Would you have picked the same character knowing their dark secret ultimately? Well, I rolled mine randomly. That's so right, you did, yeah. I think so, though. If I had to pick, uh, I think so. I honestly probably would have picked Domri, Zomri if I had known about her dark secret. Sure. Only because that makes her one of the most interesting characters and whatnot. Just because you're a state psychologist and you're a serial killer, like that is one of the worst things that can that a state psychologist could be. Yeah, no, I yeah, there's, there's something kind of oddly alluring about getting to play that type of character. Yeah, yeah. I would not pick any other character. I honestly think I picked the best character for me because it was actually kind of funny. Because um, I think I briefly talked about this with you. Um, but I was like, I want to play somebody who's not necessarily like a shooter or anything like that. We were like, well, yeah. someone whose personality is a little bit more timid and like not necessarily like this, like, you know, like macho stereotype, if you will. Yeah. Because like previously, obviously, my character was a little bit more on the tougher side. This one. Yeah. But it was a different kind of like tough, if you will. But obviously very much a broken character. And. It worked Not out great. cool in any way, shape, or form. Kind of just yeah. like going with it. No, I get what you're talking about. Yeah. And honestly, I think it worked out great because yeah. the, like, I mean, we had some sessions that were intense and they were so much fun to act out. Like, they, God, it was so much fun. Like, I remember, I think it was like one particular session afterwards. We were just like, man, that was so much fun. Like, that was intense and it was fun. It was just, yeah. No, that was, I think it was great. Honestly, when we started playing cult, I did not expect this to be the first game that we had PvP happen during, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> that was nail biting. That was it was. Yeah. <laughs> the rolls of like the one by one rolls, just seeing these like numbers just kind of pop up in chat and just being liter like literally on the edge of my seat, just like waiting like it, the the sensation of like the sensory sensation is definitely kind of missed to hear like the dice clatter and everyone just kind of huddled around to kind of see in a recording set setting that is like void of it. But at the same time, like it really still kind of kept it going, I guess. Yeah. No, and then for the powered by the apocalypse and cult purists out here. Yes, I did homebrew how they were doing that a little bit because mm -hmm. when you're having three players kind of roll against each other. You have to do a, you get a little bit creative how that all plays out. Like So let's dive into Cult, I guess. So Cult is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. As you all may have noticed, that like within reason, you guys actually had a surprising amount of power in how you could shape the story. A lot of kind of the game mastering part of this is helping to kind of push along situations and giving you stuff to react to and then kind of see where you go from there and then saying, yeah, that sounds like that type of role or something like that to see if you pull it off. And... That's indicative of Powered by the Apocalypse games. I think I've mentioned this a couple of times as we've been working through this. I am not historically the biggest fan of Powered by the Apocalypse games, but 
cult, I think, is one of the, I'm not going to say it's one of the few. It's one of the ones I've messed around with the most that, like, something about what cult is and powered by the apocalypse, I think, just clicks for me in an interesting way. Like, I think, and obviously it's going to be kind of group by group, but I think it's you guys, despite me being deliberately vague about what cult was, kind of picked up on what cult was and, like, stayed within the lines of, like, okay, yeah, we're normal people in a bizarre situation, so we kind of have to keep the normal people things. But you started pushing, but it's like, okay, reality's a little bit bendy. Let's see what we can do weird on the edges type of thing. And should we talk about Oakwood Heights or should we talk about cult first, I guess, in general? So where do people want to go with that? Oakwood Heights? That's what this module is called. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Huh. I guess there is an understanding of cult that we can kind of dive yeah, into. Yeah, that's, that's a very fair point. I guess I should talk about this. So. I think I've talked to, I know I've talked with you guys about this. I think it's in the session zero. It would not really have shown up in the podcast traditional form. This game is based off the same kind of mythology and spiritualistic beliefs that The Matrix is based off of, actually. And um, a show of hands, who's a giant Matrix fan on this podcast? Hi! It's me. I fucks with it. Yeah. I am also a fan. And. Do you have feelings about The Matrix, Dylan? I like it, but I'm yeah. not an Uber fan. Yeah. So, uh, let's just dive into, I guess, the kind of, let's pull back the, let's pull back the kind of, I guess, cover of what Cult is. So, Cult is Matrix-esque in the fact that your characters are essentially are interacting with fake reality. Um, a god being called the Demigurg, Demigurg, Demigorg, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong successfully kind of way back at the start of time humans were divine beings and who the demigurg wanted that power for itself and basically managed to kind of strip that from humans and for century millennia times kind of vague has kept all of humanity in a a cell basically and it keeps us there by keeping us miserable by kind of keeping us complacent by kind of beating us down constantly and Outside of that, you kind of have heaven and you have hell, and you also have some purgatory stuff around it and some other weird mythology that happens around that as well. And kind of turn of the 20th century, when humans stopped being as devotely religious and started questioning things more, the wheels started to come off the Demigurg's plan. And as a result of this, it died, it fled, it lost enough power, it was no longer a relevant player. and Basically, kind of, God has flown the coop, and angels, demons, and everything else in between are now still trying to kind of hold on to this source of ongoing power they've enjoyed for so long, as humans slowly, quite literally, wake the hell up and reclaim, in some cases, some of their power. So, characters in this game are classified as one of three things, asleep, aware, and enlightened. Asleep is what your characters start off as, they are un- aware of reality. Aware is what most characters in cults are, essentially. They are aware there's something off with the world and they're working consciously or subconsciously towards enlightenment. Enlightenment is when you start to kind of get some matrixy powers. Not quite bullet time type of stuff, but you learn to kind of use some of the reality bending that's possible within the setting of cult. And then from there, you kind of fully reclaim your divinity and then become an eldritch horror 
nightmare creature as you kind of go off and ascend at that point. Any questions so far? So you as a character are aware of this? So, yes. um, Part of why I picked Oakwood Heights is that it is one of the few pre-written scenarios that is designed to take characters that are sleepers asleep to make them aware, basically, kind of using Delta Green as an example. It is the story of your first unnatural interference, I guess. Like, you see the veil get pulled away, you experience the weird, and you start an understanding of, hey, there's something wrong with how the world works. And the game kind of presents this, again, very Matrix-type fashion, where, like, the powers that are beyond kind of human comprehension can rewind time, change things, like, reshape reality. Maybe not at total will at whim, but, like, they can... Basically, anything you can do in the Matrix movies, like redo hallways or whatnot, at it kind of the wave of your hand, that's within their power set, whether it be angels, dark angels, or whatever type of thing. Like, everything, the more powerful stuff outside is basically godlike when compared to what it can and can't do to reality around you. So, yeah. that kind of answer the question some? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so answer the question further. Yes, most PCs in this game are aware, and... That kind of puts you, everyone kind of interprets what aware means differently, I think. It kind of puts you in my perspective, like, you're tapped in, I guess is the phrase I always use. Like, you are, you can't bend reality, but you're aware reality can be bent. Not by you yet, but maybe with some time, some effort, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you can find ways of doing that. So, and as part of this, when you're making a more traditional aware character, you have all the bad stuff your characters have, but then you also have benefits that I'm not going to say are quite supernatural, but they kind of have a certain aspect of like, I'm not trying to make a joke with this. You kind of have cult leader powers, whether it's kind of from charisma, spirituality, or some kind of other, you have like extra influences go on. The game's pretty good about kind of presenting a variety of kind of ways of interpreting almost a subconscious control of reality. Like, and it's, so the game boasts, I think it's like 25 different quote archetypes, and they are the, hey, here's vaguely what we think your character should start off as type of thing. And they range from academic to runaway to social media influencer to mob boss to kind of anything in between you might want. And it's all people that might benefit from understanding the underlying inherently unfair nature or kind of stacked against nature of reality and have begun to kind of navigate that some and as a result have certain things that give them bonuses in certain situations that kind of give them an edge over your average human. Okay. Yeah. I guess to kind of walk through the basics of here's what a normal character in cult has. You have an occupation, you have a dark secret, you have two disadvantages and those can range from kind of I call it minor stuff like phobia to having a stalker to having like repressed nightmares to being the victim of medical experiments. And then you get three advantages, which can range from like being super attractive to having combat skills to having sporting skills or occult studies, et cetera, et cetera. And those are all kind of tied to your attributes. And from there, you kind of build from there. The, uh, I guess, one perspective, the, Enlightened starts to give you some real reality bending stuff. I think even bullet time is technically one of those in there. But also you can kind of bullet time outside of that, just given how the nature of Powered by the Apocalypse works. 
Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of interesting to think about kind of the transition between the, uh, I guess, backbone of how cult functions and then this being our thrust into heightened awareness of the simulation. Yeah. Because, like, you got some shitty people. Like, I'm trying to imagine, like, Domri surviving this this, uh, instance and then now realizing that she's in a fictitious world that she can control. Like, that's... That's not good. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, she may not realize that she can, like, that she's in a simulation necessarily, but she understands that, like, holy crap, the occult is real, and, like, yeah. This guy was capable of escaping, essentially, his mommy demon with a human sacrifice. What could Dahomre do with a human sacrifice? Like, how many cultures that have actually practiced these things over the millennia actually were tapping into something and that kind of actually spills into the greater mythology of the series or of the franchise where like you have people out there that are normal people that have been working the rules for a long time like you have vampires but they're not actually vampires they're just people that understand that like blood sacrifice and drinking that blood will extend their life indefinitely like, the game has a bunch of really cool takes on your kind of traditional dark horror fantasy tropes in a lot of ways that I find very interesting. Again, it's it's viewed through this lens of, like, being a bad person in this setting is rewarding because you're willing to kind of make the bad decisions that get you that power, which then kind of feeds back into this loop of, like, you are essentially making someone else's existence worse, which feeds into the kind of overall power structure of it for your own gain but, like, at what cost at the same time, too. Like, it is... And the game is kind of designed where your characters are on the... Most dark secrets aren't... They make you a bad person. They're kind of, like, messed up stuff from your past. Like, they're they're more in line, I guess, with, like, family was murdered, et cetera, et cetera, type of thing. Like, things that would, imp- that would impact you as a character that, like, maybe make you start questioning reality, but also just, like, would be a shadow that hangs over you that might or might not have been caused by one of the outside influences of this thing being like, man, this person's real happy. But I can get some nice juice off them if I ruin their life. I see, I see. I mean, I guess just because, like, the end of my um, secret, or dark secret, has such an active, like, you are itching to find another vulnerable person and yeah. power over their life. That kind of, like, was, I, I latched onto that as my driving force behind my character. No, so, and to your point, one of the ways you kind of level up in this game is by confronting your dark secret. Whatever that means, that's open to interpretation. Huh. And I think, like, embracing your dark secret, as Dr. Dahomre was starting to do towards the end, would qualify for that, and that would make you more powerful, and then put you on that kind of path to enlightened at that point. Like, the game is very open to interpretation, as all Powered by the Apocalypse games are. And I think that's what makes it work for me. Mm. Like, it, there's no right answer of how you resolve any of these situations. And you as players, because of the nature of the game, get an unbelievably large amount of freedom to interpret that. Like, I guess I kind of go back to our gameplay stuff. 
Remember the number of times you guys got to pick what the bad outcome from was from a bad dice roll? That's intentional. Like it, it, this is one of the games that gives you an amazing amount of player control, like to the point where from a game master perspective, there's a weird balancing act of like, OK, what do you guys want to do? But also, hey, I got the story prepped and how do I kind of make sure you guys get through that? But simultaneously, it's like, no, like, you guys can within reason do whatever the fuck you want, kind of fuck off. Like there will be ramifications for that, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, like nothing was stopping you except, hey, you guys were kind of invested in the plot from just being like, Okay, cool. Not going to the creepy ship. You know, that's super funny because I didn't even realize the fact that like that distinction of us being able to choose the outcome of our failures had been so unique. Yeah, it's it's what makes kind of powered by the apocalypse a thing like it is. The games are often described as kind of a conversation more than anything else. Mm. And I think Cult does a really good job of that. Sometimes I feel a little disinterested in a lot of story heavy games just because the lack of structure really fucks with me in a way that like I don't know what to do. Sure. It's kind of like, all right, like here's a situation and I don't have instructions or I don't have like a backbone of stuff. It's more like, all right, let's kind of do whatever the heck. But I'm really glad that this group has been phenomenal in cultivating my role-playing skills and engaging in that role-play and not be so number-crunchy, I guess. Yeah. Just because, like, I think my engagement in... My engagement with Coriolis was a little lost just because I couldn't really, like, connect with my character. I didn't have, like, a guiding force to to write it. But I think this one, especially with the pre-gen, was like, all right, cool. Like, I can kind of see and run with this a lot easy yeah no so i guess kind of use that transition to talk about oakwood heights i picked this because and kind of there is some democracy that happens in the background we pick games but it's also kind of me saying like hey here's this game i think you guys will like do you trust me on this one and cult is one that like i like cult a lot for a variety of reasons i like the fact that the kind of the game master book for the game if you're into running horror games, you should own like it is a love letter to people that like running horror games and is a fantastic deep dive into kind of how you do that and stuff. What we talk about when we do other out of game topics on that type of topic, like how you how to correctly run horror, the types of horror, kind of how to safely run it for a group, how to balance kind of the fucking with your players, but also like keeping it fun for it. I think it does a really great job of kind of codifying and in a very kind of interesting philosophical way lays actually out that idea in a way that I think I'll be blunt. I don't think most game master books are especially good or useful. I think this is useful. Even if you don't want to run cult, like I just genuinely enjoy reading it where it's kind of fun having a not quite textbook, but kind of a textbook on like, here's how to run horror. And here's like some ideas you can build off of that. Like I'd never thought of, or like, Hey, here's some things you might be doing wrong. Or here's some other things you can do to kind of, spice things up like there's a a great understanding of how dark cult can get and when i picked this i wasn't totally sure this was gonna we were gonna make it to the end if i'm being honest like there's there are multiple points in oakwood heights that i think are really 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 goddamn dark and it was kind of the gamble of like okay are we up to this because it's a very dark story it's full of 
an endless number of triggers type of thing. And I wanted to pick something short that like if we decided to tap out or kind of it was too much for us because I think Colt earns that bizarre distinction of being one of those games. I would say do not run this for randos like this is a game for groups that you are well established with and highly comfortable with because I don't know a game that can go as wrong as this game can as quickly. <laughs> Unless you're intentionally being just kind of a terrible GM. Like, by design, this game is meant to kind of be uncomfortable in a lot of ways, and I think it succeeds, but also, like, it has the framework to be a game. It's like, no, it's you can do that safely and kind of functionally in a fun way, and my big fear is that, like, it is a departure. Like, Powered by the Apocalypse games are not for everyone. You all seem to enjoy it, I think, by the end. I think, Dylan, you have a similar perspective on Powered by the Apocalypse I do, where it's kind of hit or miss, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really like Colt. Can't say I really like a lot of other. Yeah, it's it, part of why I wanted to run this game so badly for the podcast was that, like, I have been adamantly, I do not like Powered by the Apocalypse games. And then I read this and I'm like, oh, I just don't like how every other game I've read runs Powered by the Apocalypse. Got it. It's so. Yeah. And Oakwood Heights is a short one shot scenario. As is our fashion, we took a kind of like, yeah, it'll take between four and six hours to probably run this thing and turn it into a whole crazy epic that ended with some crazy gunfight at one point and player versus player combat. Like it's if you're keeping track of things, there's actually only two locations really in it. You have the house and then you have the ship and that's kind of it, but also kind of in the powered by apocalypse and also cult nature. It's about giving your players a situation to kind of explore and go nuts in and see where it goes from there if that makes any sense and if you want to run this for your group but it's free it's you can be downloaded from the website it's also on drive through and stuff like that it's part of a collection of other free game of other free adventures for cult the other one that seems to be popular for first time scenarios is called the atrocity exhibit i believe and i like that one it's definitely leans more into your characters are aware and I really like how Oakwood Heights can, is played by characters that are asleep. They're unaware. They don't know what's going on. So when stuff goes like truly supernatural, there's a lot of space for what the fuck is happening on and not. Ah, bad things are happening again, huh? I can't remember at this point. How much supernatural in this game did I cop to before we started playing? Uh, I don't think you did a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think I tried to downplay that aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think we really when when shit started hitting the fan and all of a sudden we were like stuck in a room. You know, okay, so this is awful because I know you had given us visual aid in terms of trying to understand like Franklin Miller's mother. Yeah. All I can think about was Scout's mom from Team Fortress 2. <laughs> <laughs> But also Jimmy Neutron's mom. And so it was like really, really a, a struggle and a fight to like think about that. But that's just a really quick aside on how. Nah, I, we all have weird associations like that. But yeah, no, the, the transition into the supernatural, I guess, was interesting just because I didn't expect how to experience the supernatural the unnatural elements of delta green is kind of my 
baseline, I guess, where it's like, hey, this is there's some that's like absolutely spectacular. Kind of hearkening back to the fucking Jack Frost, the ending of Jack yeah. Frost. And there are some which are just kind of mundane where it's just like the book blinks at you, <laughs> like lose one sand. So kind of experiencing almost like a dimensional plane shift was kind of like, all right, well, we're here. Yeah. How is this going to go? Nah. so I guess kind of let's talk about that aspect of it real quick. So where Delta Green is very Lovecraftian, and I like to joke about how it's like the cult is one of the many sides of the of that kind of like horror coin where they all like i think it all I, I think cult delta green unknown armies and a couple other games appeal to kind of certain gms and certain player groups in a more aggressive way i think that kind of there's some shared dna between them that kind of seems to attract people to them and this is the straight up supernatural horror game of that kind of relationship and one of its biggest inspirations is Hellraiser, which with that in mind, does I guess how this game function make a little more sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely makes sense. Yeah. No, and it's why I'm a big fan of it. I think the game does. I, the, the larger mythology of the game basically feels like someone said, OK, I really like what Hellraiser is doing, but obviously we can't make a Hellraiser tabletop RPG. What if we made something with an even crazier, more extensive version of that, but kind of kept that same idea of everything supernatural in one way or another really just wants you to suffer. And they've made this whole kind of intricate system to keep you suffering. And I think kind of the interesting aspect of that is that, like, depending on what supernatural faction you're talking about, they all have slightly different perspectives on what the mortal world is like some think of it as a jail something this is intricate machine some would think of it kind of like a i don't know like a play almost or something where you can kind of mess with stuff something of a story something that's just a big labyrinth and that kind of plays into the other aspects that exist around it and i like it's interesting you bring up delta green as part of this because there's a subtle kind of like i think delta green is very grounded this is full-blown like borderline fantasy horror to a certain extent but still somehow feels that same kind of grounded aspect to it i guess like it has very specific rules about how it works like yeah no you can find yourself this weird scaled up version of a house why are you there oh it's this kind of demon things little slice of purgatory which is a sub dimension in the dimension you normally exist in that's made specifically to kind of harvest people's misery and why does it look like this? Well, Franklin Mills' mom became this thing when she died because she was a terrible person in life and kind of the the death angels that she decided up with were like, yo, you're good at making people terrible or you're good at making people miserable. You want to keep doing that? Yeah, and I guess kind of to put a name to it, she is what's referred to as a Neferite and she is um, from Inferno, which is this kind of situation's hell and she is under the death angel Cetherial. all the kind of like you have a hierarchy of kind of how the supernatural stuff works from every direction which i like because you kind of have these big unknowable things at the top and then they're kind of little minions that latch on to the unknowable things for various reasons which one kind of symbolizes something 
See, that's really interesting. Okay, one, I thought you were actually talking about like Dante's Inferno. Yes, it's heavily based off that. There's definitely some influence there. I love this. I I do. I am intrigued by just like that kind of background hierarchy, the absolute psychology behind it, and like weirdly cerebral stuff. You know that I'm. Yeah. That I just feed off of that like a leech. But yeah, that's. Huh. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah, and it's it, it is absolutely extensive in kind of the coolest way possible. Like it's um in the same way that I think the Lovecraftian mythos does a really great job of kind of if you want to do your own thing in it, gives you enough information that you can kind of shape and tell your own story, but like you can still hook on to things that are existing in this. Cult does something similar. Like I I guess to kind of go inside baseball for a second. The core rulebook is broken up into three sections. Book one, The Lie. Book two, The Madness. And book three, The Truth, which is the GM section, basically. Or kind of it's the, hey, we're going to spell all the stuff out. We're going to say here's where stuff is. Here's the major players. Here's kind of like how they relate to each other. Here's kind of your weird little outside of the cage stuff that exists. Here's how angels work, here's how demons work, here's how some stuff that's neither of those things work. Yeah. Here's kind of how each one of those sides views how this thing works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a very cool philosophy to the game. Like, it's one of those... I, cult, kind of like Delta Green, is a game I just like reading more of, if that makes any sense. Like, the mythology and world that's created around it, I think, is unbelievably cool, and it's paired with some just absolutely stunning art, like, Aside from the fact that, like, the, the cult books are inherently just disturbing across the board, owning a cult book is a visual feast and also just kind of an idea feast. They are unbelievably fun and interesting. Like, fun's the wrong word, definitely, but, like, interesting and kind of enthralling books to work your way through. And if anything we played intrigued you at all, I highly recommend checking them out. It's a hell of a game. It's a hell of a setting. It's... I can simultaneously not recommend the game enough and simultaneously be like, but don't run it for everyone because I don't think it's not going to be for everyone, even more so than Delta Green. I think this game is for the right group of people, and those people are going to enjoy the ever-loving hell out of it. Can I ask something in the nitty-gritty of the actual game itself? Sure. So... In the beginning portion, when we were still at the house, I was trying to trigger Franklin into a fugue state, kind yeah. of give us a little bit more of an exposition in terms of the story. Was that achievable in that early of or in that early of a early of the sort? Like, all right, so yeah, let's just dive into this. I guess at this point, um, the answer is kind of to that. You're not going to, so the way, because of the nature of this game, it's very reactive, Lots. it's even more so there's lots of yes ending to this, like if you had found the right thing to press, I'd have probably given you more, but at the same time, like, Franklin genuinely doesn't remember what happened. Okay. He does, but like that whole human sacrifice thing he did, he more or less kind of wiped his own memory as part of that spell. Like, it is his criminal defense of, like, conferring sanity, like, it wasn't me, like, I I have no memory of it, period. He did it, absolutely. Like, he he's a bad person. He did the murdering, he did the human sacrificing, he did the heart-eating, like, all happened. 
except he genuinely has no memory of it, and the house is kind of where that mental barricade starts to crumble some, which is why you get that kind of, like, him as a child living in a house of horrors of parental abuse, and him as the adult that has this, like, spell thing up that's some of what he did starting to poke through a little bit, and also, like, Franklin Mills is aware enough he managed to do a human sacrifice to counteract a not like minor demon, but like a demon demon's interest in him. So he's at least a little bit tapped in. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he's not going to like rewind time on you or like fi- face through a wall, but like he did the human sacrifice. He he did a terrible thing specifically to block Mommy Dearest from being able to find him and keep messing with him. Like he he learned a spell from questionable sources and made it said spell work. And then the secondary thing, both Jenner and Kostaroff were able to go after killing Franklin when there was a promise of only one. Ultimately, had Domre survived the incident, would she have passed into kind of the real world air quotes and not have been stuck in like this hell limbo. So I gave the explanation of it was Jenner's gun that Kostroff shot. So that's how Jenner got to kind of get out on that one. So I guess to kind of like oh, get into the, to get the nitty gritty at the end of it, like all three of you can in theory, like if you team up and make like Martha Mills doesn't really give a fuck how many you leave versus not. She just wants Franklin. She recognizes that, like, if she plays you three against each other, she might get some extra play things to torture. But she really just wants Franklin, so she's more than happy to let all of, some of, none of you leave. And since you were dying, and the scenario's pretty explicit about, like, if you die, you don't really die because it's purgatory and Martha Mills has not absolute control, but basically kind of as much control as she wants over the situation, you can't die there type of thing unless she wants you to. So, but you're kind of like grabbed and removed from play and she gets to keep you at that point. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like what she really wants you to do is just straight up drown Franklin. Like, and I kind of like, you may have, I chose some very specific wording at the end. You got Franklin back to her. I'm not sure he's alive when he got back to her, or, like, how alive he is. She's like, oh, yeah, he's here now. Ah, fuck, I got a loophole for them or something like that. There's a lot of wiggle room on that because she really doesn't care about the rest of you. She just wants Franklin. Damn. (laughs) Hmm. And I guess kind of could use some perspective on a little bit of that, too. So... This thing is kind of written away. There's only really two locations, two and a half. Now you think of Martha Mills house and stuff like that. I made the distinction of once you guys or once you hit the engine room, then you were in the purgatory. Basically, you had to go deep into the Cenobia enough for kind of you to enter the shadow realm, if you will, at that point to kind of like step out of reality enough to into the kind of sub reality that Martha controls. And yeah, it's why kind of that was the trigger for when stuff got weird, and that is also why when you stepped into it, Franklin was like, got his memories back and realized, oh no, I need to get out of here ASAP, whatever that means. 
that's not really written into the scenario, but I kind of found it useful as from a GM perspective to have a like, okay, here's the divide between reality as it functions as reality and where I start get to having endless hallways and rooms filling with water and undead people from your past showing up and being like, hi, I'm not dead anymore. Let me stab you with a screwdriver. Good times. Yep. <laughs> this is where I talked about the Cenobia. Did anyone get an inkling that the Cenobia was a big hint at what was going on? Mm, I, you know what? I didn't. It didn't click for me. If there was something nah. hidden there, it didn't click for me. The creatures from Hellraiser are called Xenobites. Oh. And when I was trying to come up with boat names, because there's no official boat name for this, I'm like, okay, what sounds like a big fancy tanker name, but it's going to be a Hellraiser reference. And after much trial and error, I came up with the Cenobia. Which actually means like it, it works in a variety of ways. I think it means like queen and stuff like that as well, which I think plays into the Martha Mills angle of it in a fun way. Mm. That's yes. the weird Easter egg of this. Zenobia was like, um, is a woman's name from like, I, I don't think it's Greek history, yeah. but uh, some history, and I, yeah. I do think that it means queen. Yeah. Sorry, it's Xenobites. That's the thing from Hellraiser, not Xenobites. Slight difference. A Persian empress and a queen of Egypt. <laughs> no, never mind. Uh, mm, third century queen of the Palmyrene Empire in Syria. But at the same time, the fact that it's just kind of an alternate form of Cenobites, like, okay, tight. Fuck. <laughs> I love, like, because you kept dropping this, like, there's this giant hint in front of you. And in my head, I'm just thinking, like, well, I'm a doofus. So I hardly, I hardly can't even, like, think of where that hint could be found. So I'm just not even going to think about it. Also, I guess, <laughs> I guess like to. To put perspective for everyone that's listening to this, we played this on Forge, and when we were on the scene for the Cenobia, it says in giant letters across the screen, the Cenobia. Man. <laughs> I don't know. That could have been a pre-gen asset. It's not. <laughs> I didn't think too hard. Of, I didn't think too hard about it. No, that's what the best Easter eggs are. They're just there for the people that get them, and they're not important to the plot. So any more questions about cults, Oakwood Heights specifically, like I guess like other ways we could have ended or anything like that, because there are a couple different endings. We also kind of got to experience most of the endings, I guess. Most of the endings? I mean, you could just straight up try and kill Martha Mills. Like, it is possible to fight her. No! It's a hard fight. Like, she has a lot of health and has some pretty devastating attacks, but like, it is possible to just kind of say fuck it and go and swinging i can't even imagine like attempting to do that but you know what yeah i i didn't even realize that was an option i mean that mess also makes a certain amount of sense like based on everything you've experienced so far you have this nine ten foot tall demon woman that seems to kind of be beyond reality like the fact that your first instinct wasn't you know i'm a fight that probably realistic to be fair, I was like, that's a quest giver. <laughs> I can't kill it. Yeah. How else am I going to progress in the story? <laughs> I mean, for Dahmer, it's especially appropriate, too, where it's like, okay, how do I get back to reality so I can be an even worse person, knowing what I now know? You know what? That 
despite being an awful person, I would have been alive. That was that was my ultimate goal. Yeah. Was to kill kill Franklin when that didn't when that was obviously not something that I could immediately do. Plan B came out where it was just to get out alive. Yeah. But it was an absolute it was an absolute treat to uh have that moment where Franklin had to break free because at that point in time I was like perfect. I'm taking a child hostage. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys want to talk about I guess the greatest hits from this, I think, which are Dylan, you shooting Chad, and yeah, Chad, I think you're taking child hostage. Like that's some those are definitely the high points of this entire thing. That's a weird sentence to say. I really hope it's not taken out of context. Like the moments that surprised me the most, I think, were like the situations surrounding those two interactions. And as you may have noticed, listeners, I just stopped talking and let them play out, basically. Those were some get the hell out of your player way moments. They were fantastic moments. To be fair, Domre does not have a great track record on the health and safety of minors. Actually, I now realize this. Josie, Dermot, Kyle, and Sarah are not specifically mentioned as minors. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I thought of them as just weird little teenagers that she just nah, I convinced to, to convince them to commit. And I was like, mm. And all of the kind of reflections of your past you experience inside of the Cenobia are some minor demon things. They're called um, purgatides or something like that. Yeah, they're just kind of like minor demon things that uh, Martha can summon. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, the most interesting thing, like, I, it was off it was off recording, but, like, it was uh, I don't remember, I think it was Dylan who made the comment of, like, just waiting for Domri, for the other shoe to drop for Domri. And in my head, I was like, oh, we haven't even got there yet. <laughs> so that's actually an interesting point. Like, so Jad did a fantastic job of kind of dropping some hints at, like, who Dahomre really were. Was there a moment where either of you started to, like, really piece together just how far Dahomre's character might be willing to go? I mean, Dahomre's, like, initial, like, actions that we weren't, like, our characters weren't seeing, but, like, they're her recordings and everything. Yeah. I mean... I was kind of suspect of it, but I didn't think it was as bad as it was. I'm not sure we got into it much. Actually, she has a podcast she was basically filming for, right? Yeah, the podcast thing is a little sus. She's recording all this evidence. Why is she recording all this evidence? Yeah. It was... I, I was so glad that I was able to, like, play against both of you being law enforcement rather than the attorney general or, like, the, uh, a lawyer. Yeah, because I think the lawyer would have been uh, the attorney would have been so much more restrictive. But also the sheer fact that it's like law enforcement and the starting scene was uh, a police chief just saying, like, hey, don't fuck this up. So I was like, all right, cool. How do I how am I going to do this with the the police officer who's on probation, which I do at least have like a finger in that pie and being able to manipulate that. But like Jenner was definitely the wild card of like, how do I role play around this? Y'all played your characters. Excellent. <laughs> and that was 
one of the biggest hurdles that I had to had to work around. Yeah. I'm not sure it kind of as written cults designed to be as antagonistic as we chose to play it, but I think also like it lends itself to that type of friction in some very interesting ways because you definitely have the freedom to kind of take it there, if that makes any sense. I don't think it was really like encouraged for me to take it there because it definitely was like to plan around it as well as the well. There's the there's the ulterior motive, but at the same time, I'm still trying to help with the investigation or yeah. still try to like engage with the team dynamics. I think it was just interesting to kind of like work with Kostrov as well, who is so reclusive in that, and also just kind of see like what can draw out his character. Because I think the really cool thing about the relationship between Domri and Kostrov is the psychological report aspect of it so being able to play against uh alex's kostrov was really interesting just because it's like how do i draw out this character but at the same time reify like the core elements of kostrov to a psychologist who's like i'm here to be a factual reporter but at the same time like come on dude get up on your feet and let's go I don't know. Yeah, give me some. Uh, what's that? Give me some. Uh, give me something good for my show. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting though, because like I, I can tell like you were definitely trying to like pull into that, and I think like as as hard as you tried on it, I think my character was just so stuck in their head about what had happened that maybe they were just like afraid of kind of digging into that. But like, I can definitely tell, and that's probably why part of it I was kind of just like suspicious of your character a bit. But yeah, I, more or less, my character was very much stuck in their own head and it was very strongly struck, stuck in their own head. And like decision wise, like even everything, like, I mean, hell, they had a f- several breakdowns throughout this whole process. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how many times the guy ripped his shirt, tried to cover wounds for people that were basically dying or already dead. And it was just trying to cope at that point. And I guess interesting to keep in mind, too. Your character starts at slightly lower stability than everyone else's did. Yeah, well, I mean that's 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 totally understandable considering yeah. uh, it's given the context. So having played Kostrov and kind of like you know the larger picture of this, like it's works. I think of Kostrov as kind of like if he's the character you have to have someone play if you're going to run this scenario. I think like it doesn't work if no one's playing Kostrov. I think like. I think you want to have Kostrov, I think you want to have and I think kind of Jenner and Cats are the two that, like, if you only have three players, those are the ones you can swap around some. I'm not going to say, like, I think Kostrov is, like, the main character or the hero of the story some, but I think it, like, there's a certain redemption arc, I think, that's baked into Oakwood Heights that, like, did you feel any of that, I guess? Because it definitely kind of is about, like, he is the most invested in a weird way because, you know, he was literally there for the whole sacrifice thing. Yeah, and it was like, I mean, obviously, I can't even tell these people what had happened because, like, I would just come off even more fucking crazy at that point. The official police report by itself makes you sound insane. Exactly. So it was just this weird, like, I guess it was like, it was what I was looking for in a character when we were talking about it initially, because I was very much, like I said, looking for a character that was very much just kind of 
not all there. Like just someone that was mentally broken at that time. And I guess they were kind of there, but also not really. <laughs> so. Yeah. It worked out great though. Like I loved playing Kostrov. Kostrov was a great character. And I think it, it just, it was fun to like have that all just kind of play out. I regret nothing. <laughs> <laughs> How did you kind of come to your decisions, I guess, when it comes to your, your freezes? I remember the entrance to the Zenobia, how uh, Kostrov just kind of stayed behind while everyone kind of went forward. There was a weird aspect in me that was thinking, it's like, at some point in time, he's going to go. Like, he's a player character. He's got to have to to commit to advancing the story. But then I realized, like, no, actually, Alex is really into this character at the moment, and I don't think that Kostrov is actually going to go down the stairs. I mean, I you guys essentially have forced me to go down there like it, it wasn't my choice. Well, it was my choice in the sense of I either went down there or like something. There were going to be consequences if I didn't at that point. So because I, I mean, maybe I remember it. I mean, it's been a little bit since we played that part out, but I remember basically I didn't really have a choice in that matter. But the reason I mean, I had hesitations was like I kind of referenced the the situation in regards to his dark secret, because in the reference to the dark secret, there was obviously the part where he talks about, like, I was like handcuffed to some machinery. And anytime you go down any, these kind of ships, I'm assuming like the ship we were on is not exactly a cruise line. So it's going to be a lot of just like machinery and just pipes. And it's going to be dark and dank and not exactly inviting. Yeah, the Cenobia is one giant PTSD trigger for Kostrov. Yeah. yeah, it's essentially one giant PTSD trigger for me. So, like, just hanging out outside, I was like, yeah, no, I mean, I have to go eventually. But, like, yeah. And then, of course, having where we're like, yeah, we're going to go and we're going to literally revisit all the crime scenes. Like, yeah, we'll go. This is going to be great. And it's just for my character, it's like, well, shit. Okay. You know, because I I remember responding to some of the initial calls in my some of my character backstory. Like I I believe I end up going to some of the houses and all that stuff. But like I know at some point I wake up and when I witness the dark secret part of my character story, I'm literally like said chained up and I literally like helpless at that point. So it's just yeah. So that I guess at that point my character is just kind of like it is helpless. Which also I use as a kind of a reflection point for when, like, somebody was shot through the chest or stabbed through the chest. I think at some point uh, there was somebody who was gravely injured and basically dying. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I can save them. I got this. Like, we, I can make things right. And I'm essentially bandaging a corpse at that point. And it's just like, let them go. They're dead. They're gone. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I got this. I got this. I got this. Like, let me go through the motions. Because at that point... For my character, like, I could not save, what was her name? Franklin. I'm pretty sure that was Franklin, man. Yeah, well, no, yeah, it's, well, technically you killed Franklin at the end, yeah. Well, I killed Franklin, but I was also trying to save somebody else at some point. I mean, also, Franklin tried to get drowned, also, we had Dahomery get shot through the chest by Jenner. Yeah. But I think there was someone else I had tried to bandage at some point, because, like, I mean, there were multiple times I remember, like... Oh, did to- you try and bandage someone during the hallucination? Yeah, I think so. 
Maybe the hallucination. Probably. But anyway, there were several times like there was somebody is basically dead. And there's like at all intents and purposes, somebody would have been like, no, they're a goner. And they're done. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We can do this. It's like literally it's a copium moment for my character. And I was like, no, we got this. And it's just like it's it's not happening. And it literally has to take someone else telling me, no, they're done for. Let them go before I was like moving on. I think even with like Franklin dying, it took uh him straight up vanishing. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's interesting because I. Yeah, because the relationship that you're set up with because, like, Jenner kind of hates you for killing her partner, maybe. It makes an interesting situation where the game deliberately kind of keeps the what happened in the Zenobia vague that first Mm -hmm. time around. Like, and doesn't actually say what happened in the book either. Like, the actual stuff, I'm, I'd have to double check every part of it, but like, it's you were there for it, someone died. They just used your gun as kind of all the detail it gives. Like, it could be Franklin, it could be something else for all you know type of thing. Like, it was a beautiful ambiguity there, I think, that you kind of... Yeah, I really appreciate how you kind of chose to approach that, where it's like, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but also, like, you're trying to save as many people because maybe you did. Yeah. And, I mean, whether or not it's like... I'm doing it because I want to make things right. Or is it like I'm doing it out of selfish guilt because I know I did something and I just don't want to come like I, I, it was ambiguous enough that I could play around with it. And so you don't know if I'm doing it because am I doing it because I genuinely want to save people and maybe it looks disingenuous that I'm overly trying to save people or am I literally guilt ridden to the point where I am it's almost self-destructive that I'm going out of my way to try to save yeah. people that literally it, there's no way I can save them. Like their lost causes for anyone else. But for me, it's guilt pushing me beyond that part of like, no, no, no keep going. You got this. Yeah. And it's like, no, they, you don't like all intents and purposes. They're goners. They're done for like, you literally blew a hole through Franklin Mills. There's no amount of fucking ripping your shirt and bandaging him up and filling the hole. That's going to stop the, they're the, the saving them. Like, how much shirt do you have to stuff inside a person to stop a fatal gunshot wound? Yeah, this ain't it, Chief. But here I am. Like, yeah. So it's 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 for me. It was just it's ambiguous enough that I can like just go over with it. And again, like for anybody else observing it or listening in, yeah, is he is he pretending or is he actually guilt ridden by the whole thing? Either way, yeah. it's absolutely self destructive. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I- yeah, it's an interesting interpretation, because I think, like, the... Again, I think, like, as written, it does not tell or give any real indications of how you should play any of these characters, and the the book kind of, the, as written, it kind of leans into this kind of family man aspect with him, with his Amy and his kid, or with his wife Amy and with his kid Dominic, and I like that as a game master from kind of the, like, how do you mess with this player a little bit aspect of it, but I think, like, the guilt, I think, it was fascinating to so see you kind of go through that, because a lot of this scenario is about guilt and processing and kind of how you internalize that and you have characters that feel no guilt or kind of like find ways to justify your guilt and then you chose to play Kostrov as like someone that's truly been like infested or infected by their guilt which I was just an interpretation I was not expecting to see I guess and it was kind of cool to see how that played out (laughs) 
Can I be, can I, can I just interject real quick? I legitimately thought that your wife and child did not exist at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it, it, it was this weird ambiguity of like, is he making this shit up because he wants us to believe he's innocent? Because like, all you know is that this man's gun was used in a, to essentially murder another cop at this point. Uh, and then on top of that, like, or, like, how does some guy like Franklin Mills not only overpower the other person, but also overpower you and you somehow don't do like cannot stop Franklin Mills from doing what they did? I literally thought when you said that your your secret was like god awful. And after reading my secret in my head, for whatever reason, I was like, I was thinking, okay, so this is this is a hail mary. But Adrian Kostroff, the one is the one that you were playing, is not actually Adrian Kostroff, but Franklin Mills. Jeez. (laughs) So I thought you were going with that because they hint at like maybe there was another person involved in Franklin Mills crime, like. Wouldn't it be convenient? That's what I'm saying. Like, and then like his wife and his children were still was like, like he had what's his face? Willie Billiam. He had William somewhere. And then he's just doing this some weird long con. And in my head, I was like, mm, I don't think this is happening. But like, wouldn't it be really funny? Yeah, no, that's. <laughs> you think I'm just hitting you with the Kaiser Sose moment? Like, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Man, that'd be a cool interpretation of that character, though, too. Like, I mean, that's the fun part about having a dark secret is that it's complete. Like, there it leaves enough of a void on the character design that you're like, holy shit, there's so many different scenarios this can play out because you don't know, like, what what could potentially be there. So it, it is pretty, it's pretty fucking spicy. Like, and I would have never thought of that because, like, that that would have never but then again I'm playing the character so I know my wife and kid exists and all that stuff so like I don't know there could have been like a psyche switch who knows man like I mean, there's that's a also see through the possibility yeah there's a see through the illusion sort of situation so so like part of me was like mm, is this really Kostrov who knows who actually knows so, Kostrov so I actually <laughs> want to ask about that a little bit so the fact that there is a see through the illusion move baked into this and that you all knew you had a dark secret and that assumably the other characters had dark secrets. Like, was that something that was on your mind a bunch? A little bit. I didn't know because like that mechanic is hidden from us because we were apparently like asleep. Right. Yeah. So I just didn't know what it did. And especially just because like we couldn't just call for our roles. It was like, all right, let me see if I could just puzzle my way through the situation and what outcome happens. I mean, I played it that Jenner believed that Kostrov's dark secret was that he's the fault that her partner's dead. So I wasn't thinking about it too much either. I was just making assumptions. Yeah, and honestly, like, I know Charlie hinted at it a few times, but like, as soon as the little girl showed up and she hadn't said a fucking word and never seemed tired or anything like that, me as the player, that's sus as fuck. But Kostrov, caught up in his own shit, he's worried about his kid and his wife. 
So random little kid showing up. Oh, wait, she's accounted for by somebody else in the group. Whatever. I'm not asking questions. I just want to get home to my wife and kid. So. I really like the Jenner Kostroff relationship. And I I think that, like, my favorite moment was when uh, the Hamre had been shot and Jenner was giving CPR to Franklin. And I really thought that I was going to get executed while giving CPR to Franklin by Kostroff. That was uh, that was intense and fun. That was such a great fucking moment to play out. Like, it was so much fun to just like it, that moment was so good. And like just the back and forth, like the dialogue and just in general, like playing through like the whole feeling of like the character and like back and forth, like literally getting to play out this whole like breakdown for Kostrov as this whole thing is going on. Because he's literally faced with a dilemma. Like, it, it, the dilemma, it, it's, I mean, it's it's just, it's lose-lose. Like, it's one way or another. And the way that it got presented to him was like, like, look, you can either kill him and you're going to go to jail and you won't see your wife or kid, or you can make sure he serves his time. Like, it was just, you know, like, it, it, it was, it was a great time. Like, that, the whole thing just blue like just flowed so well but yeah that was that was a great moment that was yeah. really a donald glover walking into like the fucking <laughs> <laughs> burning burning everything someone got shot whatever the heck because like you weren't in the room when like yeah that shit happened so really you just saw the outcome of a struggle and then domry just bleeding out with uh, fucking <laughs> the your 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 partner your investigation partner or this other player character trying to revive your arch nemesis. <laughs> yeah, which is even funnier too because like at the same time, this was just after I had my like hallucination of a deal being struck with uh what was her name again? Uh Martha Mills. Martha Mills. Yeah, with with Martha. So I'm like, if I just had a deal struck with me, these two people have a deal that just went down. And I just walked into a room of two people who decided whose deal was more important to them. <laughs> like, that's literally what I walked into in my mind. The only thing that I obviously couldn't factor and it just didn't occur to my character because all I saw was one of the people who potentially made a deal is alive and the other one is pretty much dying if not already dead like is there like what am i gonna do i only have one literally one shot at this point because what's to say i'm not gonna get taken out and then i lose and my family's not gonna be safe afterwards so and then on top of that what's it called uh was it uh i'm spacing out all of a sudden it was was it jenner right Detective Jenner? Yeah. Yeah. Detective Jenner fucking hates me. So like, I had no reason to spare this, this person. None at all. All the signs were like, yo, like easily take out. Like you don't even have to fight the other one because they're already down for the count. You take care of this one. You and your family are home free. So like trying to like fight that, like, okay. I could easily do this and then being convinced by not not just 
someone else on your team, but someone who hates your guts to be like, look, dude, don't let him win. It'll be better if he suffers in jail. And to like have that like turnaround arc of having someone who legitimately hates you to be like, look, we can get through this. Was kind of a fun, just instant character development moment for for that relationship between those two, which I thought, again, also really added to that moment. Because again, these two people, they, they legitimately just fucking hated each other. Oh. Yeah, the the number of interpretations for that moment, I it was just kind of a cool moment from a GM perspective where I'm like, I genuinely do not know how this is going to play out because I'm just <laughs> saying when you show up on this and when you have a character show up where it's like you have one player character that's been shot, presumably by the other player character, but also the murderer is there getting CPR. It's like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? I, yeah. I mean, to be completely frank, I fully was like, I mean, because Jenner was giving CPR and like she was still giving CPR while talking to Kostrov. So I was like, oh, man, if he if he decides to do it like Jenner's just dead, I don't think there's any justification in which she she survives a shot there. So I was like, oh, dude, I just got to keep talking until he uh, until he cracks. Got to keep going. I mean, like, take it one step further. Like, maybe Kostroff knows Jenner's kind of corrupt, and maybe Franklin Mills has been like, yo, you get me out of here. We strike a deal or something like that. Like, I, the possibilities of detective giving CPR to known murderer versus the doctor who's been kind of weird, but, like, is on their side in theory. It's like, what the actual fuck have I walked into? Yeah. And I, I, I just want to really add real quick because I know that scene was like intense, all that stuff. But Jad, you played your character so well. You gave me Robin Williams and one hour photo vibes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I told you that before, but you played it where he gave me that vibe. <laughs> no, I, I, I really was super invested in it. it. Just it was one of those things where it's like until I got shot, I had no intention to harm anybody. And when I got shot and I was my character was out, I literally thought or I honestly thought that like I was done. There was a little piece of me, though, just because of my own personality where it's like, all right, cool. Plan B. What if I'm not fully dead? What happens then? And when I heard that you had picked me up and was carrying me out, I was like, if I revive in Kostrov's arms in this fireman carry, I'm taking the gun. So when when you lost the gun, when I woke up in the middle of the sea, I was like, well, there goes that gun. But then how do I get the second gun? Because the moment I woke up, I was like, I am now a menace. I love the like the like precursor to the climax where we're swimming around. And you're like, watch your back. We're all like, why are you saying this to someone with a gun? Stop. <laughs> this is oddly ominous from someone who doesn't have a weapon. Yeah, and then immediately you followed up on what you were saying. Oh. I told you exactly what I was planning, and you chose not to listen. It was so good because like that that finale there like was nail biting. The whole struggle over the gun, getting shot all of a sudden, and then uh, or not shot, stabbed all of a sudden. I was like, what the fuck's gonna happen? I've got no idea. <laughs> Oh, I was so prepared for possibly like the awkward, 
oh hey Kostroff went to hell but like Jenner and uh, Dahomre got out of here somehow like what is that finale like or also like because you didn't kill you didn't kill Franklin correctly you all still wound up in hell and Martha Mills is like I tried to make this simple for all three of you I'm like I genuinely do not know how this is gonna play out like all of these parents are potentially unbelievably weird for a finale like I'm not sure which one I want to see happen most the big like twist that got me was that Jenner got out too because like after after she made the decision that like she wasn't going for non-lethal anymore she kind of accepted that like okay at least Kostroff could get out of here and not have a problem but I just killed like a, a state psychologist there's no explaining that away that was the biggest twist for me when you just punched me or when you fucking chopped me in the neck in a <laughs> lethal manner. Because in my head, I was like, no, despite the fact that this person is absolutely fucked, they're still a good person. They're not going to shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Shoot me? Well, it was I, I probably would have continued with like the like subdue her because the first two times she shot the harm rate was it was meant to not be lethal. But she had just been stabbed and was, like, worrying about a person with a knife and fighting over a gun. So she was just like, fuck it. And it went for the kill. It's like, because the the determination, or at least the driving force was like, after I got shot, I'm still trying to drown somebody. Like, I'm not relenting. Like, there's, there's the full, like, hand is... Like the the hand that I've been dealt is full on display. Like you see Domri one hundred percent right there. And then after the second shot, I was like, oh, okay. Jenner is my Jenner is my biggest threat right now. <laughs> <laughs> How do I stop or incapacitate Jenner? So when all y'all were like, catch Franklin, <laughs> my first reaction was, yeah, take this is the one thing that Jenner has shown affection to. Because you hate, you hate your partner. So what else do I got? <laughs> I mean, it was so good. But I, like, I didn't realize that Jenner's, like, best stat is inflicting violence. So uh, <laughs> if I had realized that earlier on, she might have been more, like, aggressive with people. But I think that it was, like, the bit of sobering up, Lydia being grabbed, and the culmination of everything. And I mean, it really was like getting stabbed and then fighting over her gun was the thing that like triggered her to be like, OK, fuck it. I don't care. I, I don't want to die in a fight for a gun against a psychologist. Yeah, I was also not expecting the plot twist of like, oh, well, you two got out because, yeah, sure. You know, Kostroff pulled the trigger, but it was Jenner's gun. So... Both of you technically killed Franklin Mills, so it works out. Because then after the game ended and, like, we were done for the night, I was like, huh, so if Dehombre would have held down Franklin Mills and I shot him with with Jenner's gun, does that mean all three of us get out at that point? Like, I started playing out all these scenarios in my head after the fact because it was just an interesting plot twist to have that happen. I'm going to be honest, I, I like, I actually thought that it wasn't the gun. I thought it was the fact that Jenner killed somebody in like a, a I get like a sort of fucked up, like the, the demon was like, oh yeah, that's a sacrifice. You get to go too. 
I I think it is supremely more interesting that it was just the fact that the demon was like, oh, you used her guns, so she gets to go too. Close enough. Yeah. Because here's the thing. It wasn't even the fact that you, like, chopped me in the neck. You stepped on it. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a mercy killing, I guess. But at the same time, the brutality of this dying, angry person who's, like, uh, freaking the fuck out but at the same time, it's just, like, focused entirely on being, like, pissed at you. <laughs> Dude, I mean, it was partially mercy killing, but also, like, I was thinking that Jenner was like, I'm kind of vindictive. Like, I'm corrupt, and I, uh, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I'm violent. So, uh, this is my last I beat you. Like, I love that scene. I really did love just the mental image of, like, this detective kind of getting to this psychotic individual who just literally has made multiple attempts on everyone's life. <laughs> <laughs> the throat stomp was gangster as fuck. Like, that was... Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect that whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, like, I could, it makes sense, and I could see it. I just was like, oh, well, I, uh, I influenced a person a bit too much. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where just, like, it makes sense. Like, you have this person, like, you technically saved a harmless life, and how does she repay you? She tries to murder you. Look, I was the one who put her life in danger, but I made sure she got saved. I, I, yeah, it's, it's one of those awkward ones where it's like, was saving Franklin Mills the right thing to do? I don't know. I, as a GM, there's a lot of reasons that, like, just letting Franklin Mills die is... There's a perspective on that one where it's like, yeah, it's we'll call that one the correct choice because he is a fucking monster. But the idea of like, no, no, we're doing this by the book. I'm changing my ways. Like, we're going to do this one the correct way. And by the end of it, it's like, no, nah, I'm going to kill this psychiatrist. Why? <laughs> they deserve it. I I'm done with this shit. Like, let's go full corrupt cop right now. No one will know what happened in the belly of the Xenobib. I'm like, that raises a very good point. Like. If you're already a corrupt cop, like, you have the situation where it's like, oh, what happened? Oh, Franklin got the gun and killed the doctor, and, like, then we had to fight him and stuff like that, and we managed to subdue him, but, like, yeah, sucks to be the doctor, I guess. Like, you literally have this giant explanation and cover-up already there for you. I, uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the penultimate and climax of that story. Those are my two favorite moments from the, the game. And uh, I again, Jad, uh, you played the Homre so well. I was like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, I was so put off when the Homre would go into her little like uh, her little <laughs> talks with her patients and whatnot. Like, I was like, I was physically like, oh, God. Yeah, it's one thing to play a character that's like unlikable. It's another thing to play a character that, like, you actively hate and want to see, like, have bad things happen to them, but also still be like, I'm very impressed by how this person's playing this character that I really don't like. Yeah, because, like, in real life, like, in, in real life, I'd be afraid of the Homre, I think, if I met Yeah. Because, like, I, I thought about it, and I was afraid of the Homre when you were playing her dad. Like, you did so well. Yeah. No, I masterfully done i think like it was i knew it was going on i got to see i'm still i'm like i'm still uncomfortable with this situation damn chad 
<laughs> I wanted to have my dark secret be somewhat apparent because like, how do you, how do you just casually release that information? Like that, that, that dark secret just needs to come out somehow. I don't know how, I don't know how I think that my weird, like it's, this person's a little too pushy and a little unhinged. It's, I, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you all. That's, that's, I'm really happy that the, that was translated and just that was received well. Uh, oh no, the number of moments where I'm sitting here being like, well, I'm generally uncomfortable right now and I know what's going on. God damn it. Was I'm really high. excited just for this yeah. to release. Like, I just, I, I wonder how everyone else is going to take Domri. <laughs> Hopefully not well. <laughs> That's one of those ones where it's like, I love your portrayal of this character. Do you like the character? Oh, no, no, not at all. But well done. Good. That's the, that's the correct takeaway. Versus, I really like your character. Ah. Uh, yeah, I think it bears repeating. I was unbelievably impressed with how well you played Dahomre. Like, it's a hard character. There's a lot of kind of challenges and nuances that I think are unbelievably important to kind of making that character. Like, it's... I'm not saying she's ever likable, but like you get her and you hate that you get her and getting her makes you feel bad that you get her and you're like oh man i don't like thinking like this well okay so when we had the reset because we we tried to play cult and then the curse that's worth mentioning like there is a episode of this that we deleted because like we started playing it and then some recording issues happened then we're like yeah let's just hit the reset button nothing of consequence has happened at all yet the the biggest change was just that I had a reset of Domri because it, 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 I had a little bit more time to really just kind of simmer on it yeah. and whatnot, because I guess the hardest thing would be to somehow salvage the character. And it was after a while where I was like, I I could be awful, like it's OK to be awful. It's more so how do I be awful in a way that is beneficial for the team? Yeah. But once that. Because Domri's just like, I mean, it's it's bad, sad to say, but like Domri's just really good at burning bridges. It seems the one character flaw with the one character trait was the fact that like her husband had moved to Michigan or some shit like that. But in my head, I was like, okay, cool, that's neat information, but I don't think that's going to come up, or at least like I don't expect that to come up. But for someone who's just entirely self-serving and has no qualms about hurting others to advance her own agenda it felt not easy but it felt like logical to approach these situations and these things in the manner that like yeah robin williams one hour photo <laughs> would be the correct answer or be the, yeah. the thing it was more just also just being like well you have kostrov who's genuinely trying to redeem himself or like do good and Jenner, who is struggling, but is still doing good. How do I compare up to these characters, which y'all again, like I could not have been able to tap into this thought process if it weren't if I weren't playing against your characters as well. Not like antagonizing, but just like being able to create the conflict with that, because again, two officers standing in the way of her and her ultimate goal. So kudos to your characters too, because 
you guys help me or you guys really inspire me to play better. Yeah. Nah, it, it, listen, it, it's a fascinating story that ultimately becomes one psychiatrist's drive to sacrifice a person despite two law enforcement officials really trying their hardest to stop her from doing that accidentally. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm going to add, I'm consistently, like, always surprised at, like, how, how much we take, like the, like, the role play in this group to, like, the next level. Like, I'm always, like, I mean, we, we had a great time, obviously, with, like, character developments when we did Delta Green and all that. But, like, doing, like, Colt and all that stuff, like, there was, like, some real magic that came of this. And, like, like I said, Chad, you, you were amazing with your character and, like, the vibe that we got, like, but, like you said, yeah, the, the Rob Williams and our photo, like, there were moments where it was just, like, that, like, that eeriness of, like, yeah, the, the, the you know, the psychologist and all that stuff but you you played your character so well and it was great and you know dylan you again we had a, a, a phenomenal intense scene with like the role playing so like we i feel like this group consistently keeps taking the role play to the next level and of course charlie the facilitator for all this like you guys again, make this shit easy on my end yeah <laughs> i'm actually i will say i'm actually very surprised I've, i don't think i've ever heard you say like you genuinely didn't know where we were going to go with our decisions no, nah, that's kind of the fun of cult for me, I guess. You guys get so much freedom in what you can do. It's kind of me sitting there being like, where's this going to go? I do not know. Got one person shot already, one person partially drowned, and a third person has entered the situation. <laughs> yeah, I, I I, really do think, like, it's, and this is a major tip of the hat to you guys, that is one of my favorite moments I've ever GM'd, period, I think. Like, it was just kind of like, I'm going to do nothing. I'm, it, it was... I'm sitting there being like, I will not ruin this. I will not ruin this. This is an amazing thing. I will not ruin this. How do I not ruin this? How do I make sure they got to do exactly what they want through all of this? But I think that's the masterful craft of a GM who is well experienced and knows what they're doing, because I completely did not even realize that that was completely just like freestyle. We were just freestyling all over this game. I for whatever reason, I thought like, okay, cool. Charlie has placed us in this situation so that way we can have this this moment. Like, I thought you had guided us there and that was a very specific moment that we were supposed to have. No, not realizing I've... the fact that you just kind of saw us rolling and was like, alright, cool, let me just uh, put up the bowler bump, bowling bumpers and just let him have at it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess like if you guys want a perspective of like, basically, the moment you left Purgatory Martha Mills' house, or kind of the, the, the hellscape Martha Mills' house, like, the moment you left that, I'm not going to say you were totally off map, but, like, that was more or less where the scenario ends, giving you kind of like, hey, here's where stuff uh, plays out, until you got to the finale, where it's like, okay, if X people, if, like, F number of people survive, or, like, these conditions are met, here's how kind of it vaguely plays out, and it was kind of me sitting back and being like, and now we hunt. And just letting you guys go nuts on it kind of thing. Just seeing where it would go from there. I'm like, okay, we got this backdrop of the ship. I can make it a weird maze thing. What do you guys want to do? And that was, again, like, I, that was a really fun just kind of series of choices and decisions. And me kind of sitting there being like, I, 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 I've never worked that hard to have as little influence on anything you guys have ever done before. And I'm like, I, I need them to let the, I need to let this run out exactly as they want to, because 
there's nothing I can add to this that will make it better. But yeah, it feels like we're kind of winding down Colt and Oakwood Heights specifically. I assume we're going to play more of this in the future. Does that feel like a safe thing to say? Oh, I'd yeah. say that's pretty safe. Yeah. Yeah. Any kind of, I guess, closing thoughts or any last questions you guys got about this? Like, this feels like one of those awkward ones where having now played it, like, would you agree that, like, it's a hell of a game, but also go in with some concerns about, like, how triggering this thing can be. I think this game requires the most post-session care of anything we've played to date, just because it starts off dark and, like, you have multiple moments. It can't possibly get darker than this, and then it does! Oh, yeah. Shout out to an already careful and caring GM who not only wants to execute a phenomenal narrative, but actually cares for the well-being of their... Uh, crew so yeah thank you so much for the post post game care because yeah. honestly that shit was a go diving into a character like domri and then taking yourself out of a character like domri is not the business sometimes because you're just like mm, don't care like i don't want this kid to be a ghost that follows me <laughs> yeah no i i guess i could put some perspective on that from like the gm side of it I don't normally need to like fully decompress after our games. Cult has been the first exception where I'm like, I also crave normal human friend interaction right now to <laughs> decompress from all that that just happened. <laughs> Any profound closing thoughts for anyone or good to close this one out? Yeah, I think we're good. We are good to go. Yeah. At this point, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, no, we, we hope you enjoyed cult. Uh, Sounds like there'll be more cult in the future at some point. Yeah, as always, thank you for listening. If you're curious about the Session Zero stuff we mentioned, it's over on the Patreon. Hopefully you've enjoyed our brief forte into, or our brief diversion into Cult Divinity Lost. Uh, slightly different horror, but definitely still on brand for us at this point, I think. And uh, yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening. You're why we do this at this point. It's... It's kind of fun that you all choose to come along on our misadventures and stories at this point with us. Yeah.